0: The Consolation of Philosophy by Boethius, translated by H.R. James This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org The Consolation of Philosophy, Book 5, Section 5 and Song 5, The Upward Look Now, although in the case of bodies endowed with sentiency, the qualities of external objects affect the sense organs, and the activity of mind is preceded by a bodily affection which calls forth the mind's action upon itself, and stimulates the forms till that moment lying inactive within, yet, I say, if in these bodies endowed with sentiency the mind is not inscribed by mere passive affection, but of its own efficacy discriminates the impressions furnished to the body, how much more do intelligences free from all bodily affections employ in their discrimination their own mental activities instead of conforming to external objects? So on these principles, various modes of cognition belong to distinct and different substances. For to creatures void of motive power, shellfish and other such creatures which cling to rocks and grow there, belongs sense alone, void of all other modes of gaining knowledge. To beasts endowed with movement, in whom some capacity of seeking and shunning seems to have arisen, imagination also. Thought pertains only to the human race, as intelligence to divinity alone. Hence it follows that that form of knowledge exceeds the rest, which of its own nature cognizes not only its proper object, but the objects of the other forms of knowledge also. But what if sense and imagination were to gainsay thought, and declare that universal which thought deems itself to behold to be nothing? For the object of sense and imagination cannot be universal, So that either the judgment of reason is true, and there is no sense object, or, since they know full well that many objects are presented to sense and imagination, the conception of reason, which looks on that which is perceived by sense and particular as if it were a something universal, is empty of content. Suppose, further that reason maintains in reply that it does indeed contemplate the object of both sense and imagination under the form of universality, while sense and imagination cannot aspire to the knowledge of the universal, since their cognizance cannot go beyond bodily figures, and that in the cognition of reality we ought rather to trust the stronger and more perfect faculty of judgment. In a dispute of this sort, should not we, in whom is planted the faculty of reasoning as well as of imagining and perceiving, espouse the course of reason. In like manner is it that human reason thinks that divine intelligence cannot see the future, except after the fashion in which its own knowledge is obtained. For thy contention is, if events do not appear to involve certain and necessary issues, they cannot be foreseen as certainly about to come to pass. There is, then, no foreknowledge of such events, or, if we can ever bring ourselves to believe that there is, there can be nothing which does not happen of necessity. If, however, we could have some part in the judgment of the divine mind, even as we participate in reason, we should think it perfectly just that human reason should submit itself to the divine mind, no less than we judge that imagination and sense ought to yield to reason. Wherefore, let us soar, if we can, to the heights of that supreme intelligence, for there reason will see what in itself it cannot look upon, and that is in what way things whose occurrence is not certain may yet be seen in a sure and definite foreknowledge, and that this foreknowledge is not conjecture, but rather knowledge in its supreme simplicity, free of all limits and restrictions.' In what diverse shapes and fashions do the creatures great and small over wide earth's teeming surface skim, or scud, or walk, or crawl? Some with elongated body sweep the ground, and as they move, trail perforce with writhing belly in the dust a sinuous groove. Some, on light wing upward soaring, swiftly do the winds divide. And through heaven's ample spaces in free motion smoothly glide. These earth's solid surface pressing with firm paces onward rove, ranging through the verdant meadows crouching in the woodland grove. Great and wondrous is their variance, yet in all the head low bent dulls the soul and blunts the senses, though their forms be different man alone erect aspiring lifts his forehead to the skies and in upright posture steadfast seems earth's baseness to despise if with earth not all besotted to this parable give ear thou whose gaze is fixed on heaven who thy face on high dost rear lift thy soul to heavenward haply lest it stain its heavenly worth and thine eyes alone look upward While thy mind cleaves to the earth. End of section five and song five.